You know, I thought it was actually pretty good. I was um, the other day on Thursday getting, seeing these photos of um, Benjamin and Margie and the kids down in Philadelphia that we actually got a, um, a hockey fan from Canada going down to the Eagles parade was pretty good. <laughs> and um, at the last speaking of that as well, you might not know the secret, but um, Pastor Tom happens to be a Cowboys fan. I, I don't think he's gotten out of bed since Sunday night. So... Um, <laughs> Not a lot of sympathy goes there. But anyway, it was, um, you know, it was a lot of fun this week celebrating with, you know, the Eagles. And one of the things I just want to encourage us too is that, you know, I, I was born in Philadelphia, raised in this area, and um, it was a lot of fun. And, um, but also, the beautiful thing is that as believers in Jesus Christ, I saw some people on the news and stuff where I thought, you know what, they're probably taking this a little bit too far, where had the Eagles lost the game, I think they would have been jumping off of bridges. And the nice thing for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we can have a lot of fun with it. We can cheer on our football team. But in the end, you know what? We're followers of Jesus Christ. And that's our main identity. So um, it was a lot of fun, but also let's keep it in perspective in, the, in view of eternity. Um, hopefully we're cheering on again next year, but hopefully all year long we're cheering on Jesus Christ as Savior. Have, um, I was looking at the current this morning, and there's a couple of things in here that I wanted to point out because they're coming up pretty soon. Uh, one of them, I don't mind if you jump up and, and leave right now, because at 11 o'clock, we started Christianity Explored. Our hope is that you put worship before that, but attend both. Um, it's a wonderful course that we're offering here at the church for people that are maybe just investigating Christianity, asking those questions, well, who really was Jesus? Why did he have to die? What do I have to do to be saved? It's a study through the Gospel of Mark, and it's seven weeks long, and it kicked off today at 11 o'clock in room 242. So if you want next week, I'm sure you're able to join in on that. Uh, also, we have a baptism service coming up, and the reason I want to announce it today, it's on March the 11th. If you have never been baptized and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I really want to encourage you, come talk to us and be willing as a step of faith to go forward with believer baptism. Now, if you'd like to be baptized, there are two classes that we're offering. You only have to attend one. Um, they're identical courses, but the first one is two weeks from today, February, no, actually it's next week, February the 18th, and then the following Sunday, February 25th. You can see information on the current about that, but you have to attend one of those sessions. And then on the back side here, we'll see something that's called Crosstalk. This is actually a, a new ministry that we've kicked off. We started in September. We've done two of them so far. Um, we have one coming up next week, a week from today, during the 11 o'clock worship service over in the Woodside Room, the big adult room across the way. And the topic on this one is the gospel and race relations. So what should our faith in Jesus Christ and the fact that we are believers in Jesus, how should that impact the way we view what's going on in our culture and society in regards to race relations? Because our relationship with Jesus Christ should really impact every part of our lives, including how we see this topic of race. So I want to encourage you to check that out. Pastor Austin is going to be leading that, but that's next week. Well, as we get started, I wanted to um, just share briefly, we're going to be jumping into Numbers chapter 8 this morning. And as we study the book of Numbers, and actually our, our um, ushers are coming forward right now, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning and you'd like one, I'm going to put the scripture on the screen, but just raise your hand. They'll pass one out and you can take it home as our gift as well. But we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 8. And every week when we preach through the book of Numbers, 
we're journeying, journeying back over 3,000 years ago to uncover spiritual truths that we can apply into our lives today. And as we go through Numbers chapter 8 this morning, I'm going to actually be spending a fair amount of time today going into the New Testament as well. So we're probably going to be going back 3,000 years ago to come back to about 2,000 years ago and to apply those things to our lives in the present. And as we begin, I'm going to start off by reading Numbers chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 to begin. And they kind of, these verses 1 through 4, kind of seem like they fall in a little bit out of place. Last week, Pastor Tom was preaching on chapters 6 and 7 of Numbers. He put most of his time into chapter 6. Chapter 7 went, in, went on to talk about the consecrating of the tabernacle, and it went through some detail. It got a little bit of repetition going. Don't be afraid of that when you read Scripture. Sometimes it kind of seems a little boring, but there's a reason that God is highlighting something by that repetition. But in chapter 7, there was a lot of sacrifices being offered over and over by each tribe, identical sacrifices as the t tabernacle was being consecrated to the Lord. Um, today we're going to pick up in verse 8, and the first four verses um, have to do with the theme of, of light. It's God's talking here in verses 1 through 4 about the lamps and the lampstand that were located in the tabernacle. And I'd like to take, read the verses, and then I want to get into a little bit of a discussion on the theme of light and how important that has been from the beginning all throughout the time that God has been redeeming a people for himself. But before I read, would you just join with me in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for this time that we can gather as a church family, that we can open up your word and read it together. Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in being able to study your word corporately like this. And Lord, as we open it today, I pray that you would, Lord, pierce our hearts with your word. I pray that each of us would look to what we can apply into our lives today to help us to become more like Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who may be here today who don't know you. I pray that you would enlighten their hearts and minds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work with, among us this morning as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's begin by looking at chapter 8 of Numbers Verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lampstand. Aaron therefore did so. He mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Sorry about that. Um, but as you look at this, one of the things that we see here is that first we see the obedience of Aaron and Moses in following the Lord. And again, as all throughout, as you look at the tabernacle and all the furnishings that go with it, we see the detail that God goes into in establishing and building and putting together the tabernacle. And there is order to everything that God has shown and a reason for it. But now we see here that this theme of light is coming up. And God was in the process at this time in history of redeeming a people for himself. And at this point in time in history, they had just left Egypt. They were wandering into the desert. 
the beginning of Numbers starts out camped right below the mountain of Sinai, and now they're on a journey through the desert as they're going to the land that God had promised them. And what we see now is that God brings out this theme of, of light. And as I think the best way to look at it is I want to go through some scriptures. I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to just do it briefly so you don't need to turn there. But let's see the importance and the significance that light has had in God's plan of redemption from the beginning going forward. Now, in reality, I could have gone all the way back to the beginning of Genesis for this to say, you know, let there be light. But instead, I'm going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 29. Um, this is King David. And King David says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. So here we have King David, the great king of Israel. And what is he saying? He says, For you are my lamp, O Lord. So he's calling Jesus Christ his very own lamp who illumines his darkness. Now, staying with the theme of David, let's look at Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. Think about, as a psalmist writes this, he's basically saying, your word, O God, is a lamp to my feet. It gives me guidance. It gives me direction. Your word is something that I follow daily, and it says, and a light to my path, lighting up the way that we should go. Now, here we are, you know, on this side of, of you know, the cross and in, in the church age. We have God's word right in our very hands. So as these Old Testament saints were, you know, using the Word of God to guide them in their very lives, how much more so should we today that we have the Bible in our very hands, allow it to guide us as our lamp and our light? Now, talking here, it says, you know, your Word is a lamp to my feet. What I want to do is talking about the Word of God. Let's jump all the way to John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 and 14. This is all about Jesus Christ. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So who is the light here? Jesus Christ himself. It goes on to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now what we see here is that Jesus Christ is the light of men. And God himself coming down in human form is the light of the world. And that's the way it's going to be for all of eternity. That Jesus Christ is the light of men and the light of the world. Let's jump to the end of the scriptures and look at Revelation chapter 21 verse 23. And the city, this is our future home, folks. Think of this, this is your travel guide describing where we're going to go one day. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, let's go all the way back to Numbers chapter 8. And what are we seeing today? That here we have, they're talking about, you know, God giving Moses direction to have Aaron put the lamps into the tabernacle. And we look at the tabernacle itself. And what do we see in Revelation? Who is the lamp of the future? Jesus Christ. So every single element, when we look through the book of Numbers and we see all the detail and the workings that go into the tabernacle, 
All of the furnishings of the tabernacle are there to point out a very important spiritual truth to each and every one of us that impacts our salvation and our sanctification. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, salvation, we know, that's coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Your sanctification is your growing in maturity. Sanctification is the process, the ongoing progressive process of you becoming more like Jesus Christ. Now, so what we see here from the tabernacle that we can learn, whenever God gives us details about the furnishings and the makeup of the tabernacle, he's giving us significant truths because when we think about the light to the people of Israel back then, that light in the tabernacle was a reminder of the abiding presence of God in their midst. But it was also a pointing forward to the one day when the Son of God would come into the world and that He would be the light of the world and the lamp to His people. So what we see now in the tabernacle in this light, so we're seeing basically just a reminder of God's abiding presence and a pointing forward to the future where Jesus Christ is the light of the world. You know, our worship today, we come in, we worship together. We don't center our worship around a tabernacle today. You know why we don't have to do that? Because back then, that's where God dwelt among his people. But see, the cross changed all of that. And for us today, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. It's, the Spirit of God is not confined to the Holy of Holies as the time was then. He's indwelling his believers today. That's you and me. And inside of us is the light of Jesus Christ. Remember going in the New Testament? It says, let your light so shine before men. We cannot hide that light. And see, we have the light of God within us. Then it was in the tabernacle. Today it's here in us. So these are some of the truths that God was teaching us by this little bit of a, a jump into just verses 1 through 4. I said they seem out of place. Because now as we go to verse 5, What's happening is we're moving in to a whole new section from verse 5 to the end of the chapter. We're talking about the Levites and God's purification and really the, the setting aside the consecration of the Levites. So I want to just give you, before I jump in there, I'm going to give you the first point that I'd like you to remember. And this goes with verses 5 to 13. And that point is this. The purity of your life protects you. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Bob, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, for that, you're going to have to hang on as we read through it. That's where we'll find it. But just remember that it's the purity of your life that protects you. Let's pick up reading in verse 5. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them for their cleansing. Sprinkle purifying water on them and let them use a razor over their whole body and wash their clothes and they will be clean. Then let them take a bull with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bull you shall take for a sin offering. So you shall present the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel." And present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Aaron then shall present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the sons of Israel, that they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, 
Then offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. You shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons so as to present them as a wave offering to the Lord. Okay, we're going to stop there. And if you look at what's happening here, God was, I use the word consecration, he was taking the Levites and he was setting them aside for a special purpose. And in this passage I just read, he was now purifying the Levites for that purpose of serving God. And each and every male Levite was given, the, was given really the commands, the instructions on what they had to go through, a process for purification. Now, it started out where he said, that to start out, they had to sprinkle purifying water on them. Then they were take, to take a razor and to shave their entire bodies. And then they were to wash their clothes. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but I mean, I think it's a hassle to have to shave just my face every day. But here they are shaving their entire bodies. You see, God had purity at such a high level to him, how important and significant it is to the Lord, the purity of his people, that he's having these Levites go through such a process for their purification. Now, it goes on in verse 10 where he tells the Levites, he said, okay, I want the Levites to gather around the tabernacle and the people are to come up and lay their hands. Picture this, all the other tribes are to come up and lay their hands upon the Levites. And then in verse 12, it goes on and says that the Levites are to lay their hands upon the bulls. And what's happening here is the Levites are standing in as a substitute for the people. So as the people laid their hands upon the Levites, the sins of the people were passed from them to the Levites. The Levites then put their hands upon these bulls, and the sins of the people are now passed from the Levites onto the bulls. And what happens to the bulls? They, one was sacrificed as a sin offering, the other was sacrificed as a burnt offering. You see, we have a holy God, and that holy God demanded that blood be spilled for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's important, and this sometimes I'm not sure if people realize this, but that none of these Old Testament saints, the faithful followers of God in the Old Testament, none of them made it to heaven apart from the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, what, by what they were doing, they were atoning for their sins. God was giving atonement for their sins, putting them in a right place with God at the time because their faithfulness to God was shown through their following of the law. And I'm going to ask an important question here coming up, and, and that is this. Why is it that we don't sacrifice animals today? Why is it if this God was who's so holy, he was holy in the Old Testament, that that purification practice process had to happen with the Levites, the animals had to be sacrificed, God never changes. So as holy as he was in the Old Testament, he is holy today. So why is it that we come to Riverstone Church today and we can have access to God without the sacrificing of animals or us going through this process of purifying our sins? Now, amen, who said that? <laughs> there we go, Jesus. You know, I was, I, that was going to be my answer. And I say, you know what, when you go downstairs in Sunday school, we could probably, for about almost the, half of the questions that our Sunday school teachers will ask, a kid could say, Jesus, and nail it right on the head. 
And we can do it upstairs too because it's the right answer. But my question would be this, is would you know where to go in Scripture to show someone why we don't sacrifice animals today? I think it's important that we do this because as we go through the book of Numbers, we're going to be seeing a lot about animal sacrifice and what took place and the atonement of sins. And if I tell you that Old Testament saints never made it into heaven without the blood of Jesus Christ, how can we find that in Scripture? Well, to do that today, I mentioned that we're going to be going through some um, New Testament verses. I'm going to ask if you would, we're going to spend a good bit of time here. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm, I'm going to put this up on the screen as well. We want to ask that question, why is it that we don't sacrifice animals today? Let's begin in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Remember all these rituals that I'm showing you? And especially if you go back to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, man, were they sacrificing animals back then. So what's it saying here? They had to do that over year after year after year after year, all the way up to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see why. Look, pick up in verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, what we see in verses 1 through 4 is the insufficiency of animals or bulls to satisfy a holy God. God was not satisfied with the blood of a bull. You see, it was showing the people's obedience and it was showing the people's faithfulness. The sacrificing of all those animals was a reminder to the people of their sins on a regular basis because they had to keep doing it year after year. And yet, it's what we're seeing here in Hebrews 10 that God was not satisfied by the blood of bulls. Can you imagine the reminder it must have been to the Israelites back then? You know how many of them there were? And here they are, gathered around the Levites, putting their hands upon the Levites, who are putting their hands upon these animals, and then they're being sacrificed. Can you imagine the crowds? Can you imagine the noises of animals and the sacrifices and the smell and the blood? And it would have been showing those Israelites, wow, this is a holy God and I am such a sinful person. And it's a reminder of their sinfulness and their need for atonement for God. And for us today, we don't get that visual image. We don't do sacrifices. You know what? Communion, celebrating the blood and the body of Jesus Christ is that visible reminder to us on a regular basis in the church age of the sacrifice that had to happen on our part. Now let's go in. We just saw that the bulls were not a sufficient offering. Let's pick up in Hebrews 10, verse, um, verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, this is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. You see what we see, if you remember, what did Jesus say on the cross when he was, his death was coming upon him? It is finished. And he went and sat where? At the right hand of God. Because all of his work was finished. You see, for thousands of years, they sacrificed animals, but they had to keep doing it year after year after year. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfect, sinless, went to a cross, offered up his life, bled on our behalf, and in no other sacrifice ever has to be made. Because the perfect Son of God gave up his life as the once and for all sacrifice for you and me. The perfectly sufficient sacrifice. Now, if I'm going to drop us down to verse 16 and read from there. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws upon their hearts, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Praise God. How about that? See, that's for us. We don't have to look at the law of God on stone tablets because it's in our hearts. And here it just says, and God tells us their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And then in verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's why we don't do it anymore. It's no longer needed. Let's read from 19 to the verse 23. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I forgot to switch the screen there for you. Sorry about that. But, see, we don't have to offer sacrifices because Jesus Christ went to the cross as the once and for all perfect sacrifice. And you see, for everything that we need for our salvation, and I mentioned before, our sanctification, our growing in holiness, it all comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the Old Testament saints, they looked ahead. They didn't know what it was going to look like, but they looked ahead knowing that the God was going to, if they were faithful, provide a means. And that means was Jesus Christ. So the blood of Jesus Christ covered their sins. Today, on this side of the cross, we can look backwards and we see that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The Son of God, God himself, went to the cross and died for you and me. And we then can have our sins covered. You see, what I wanted to stress on this is when, when it comes to our, our purification, I said our purity is what, your purity is what protects you. Do you see there, and I just read in Hebrews, where it says we now have access to the Father. Picture what would have happened to one of those Old Testament faithful if they had walked into the Holy of Holies. They would have lost their life. But you remember when Jesus went to the cross and the veil in the temple was torn in two? That was symbolic that the access to the Holy of Holies, the access to the Father has now been made through the Son. And we no longer have to sacrifice animals because we now ourselves have access to the Father because of Jesus Christ. 
When you think of the word purity, I want you to just think of a synonym, and it's the theological, theologically correct word, is our righteousness. I could have said, your righteousness is what protects you. But you don't gain that righteousness because you've been good. You don't gain it because you've been good enough. Your righteousness comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, the holy and perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus bled for you and you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, the word they use is the imputed righteousness of Christ. His righteousness was given over to you. So when God the Father looks at you, he no longer sees you as a sinner, but what he sees is the righteousness of his son. Think of it like a garment. See, when you um, came to faith in Jesus Christ, it's like Jesus took this pure, white, perfectly holy garment and placed it over you. You know, for myself, I'm, every, I, I'm a sinner. I wake up every morning, I can't help but sin because I am a sinner. I have a sin nature within me. But you see, I trusted Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and it's like I now have this perfect, unblemished, holy garment from Jesus that I can wear over top of my sin. And one day, when I enter into heaven and I meet God the Father face to face, it's almost like God is going to say, I recognize that garment. That belongs to my son. Come on in. You see, it's not because of my righteousness. It's not my holiness. But as we are wearing the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when I said that your purity protects you, it's because you can now stand before a holy God and he is going to allow you into his presence. You have nothing to fear. You can enter the presence of God with full confidence because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So your purity protects you. Well, as we move on, I'm going to jump into um, the next section. And the, what I would like you to, um, the point I'd like you to remember from this is that your identity in Christ enables you. And again, you're going to say, what does that mean, Pastor Bob? Well, let's read to find out. And we're going to read verses, start with verse 14. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Then after that, the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meeting, but you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every first issue of the womb, the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. Let's stop there for a moment at the end of verse 18. So what's happening here? Well, do you remember when I called the Levites a substitute for the people by the laying on of hands? Well, the Levites right now are being give, called a substitute. They are now substituting for the firstborn of the faithful in Israel. To understand this, we have to go back just in their time, not that long before this. Um, they came out of Egypt not that many, maybe a year or so before. So we're just going to go back. If you remember the plagues on Egypt, and the first nine plagues came through, and what did Pharaoh do after all those plagues? Each and every time he hardened his heart. And then 
God is preparing Moses and Aaron saying basically between plagues 9 and 10, I am going to bring a plague on this land that is unlike anything anyone had ever seen. And that's when he told Moses and Aaron, he said, tell the people of Israel to sacrifice an unblemished lamb, to take the blood of that lamb and to put it over the doortops, to put it on over the, the lintels of their homes. And when the angel comes by and he sees that blood, the angel will pass on by. But for every house that does not have the blood of the lamb overhead, he said, what's going to happen? The firstborn in that household, whether it's Egyptian, Israelite, or whatever, the firstborn will die if there's no blood over top of the door. And so he's preparing the people. So the faithful of Israel put the blood above their doors and their firstborn were spared. But what God's saying here is, because God did that and he spared the firstborn of all of the faithful, that those firstborn belong to him. They were consecrated in a special way to him. But now, what he's telling us here in verses 14 to 18 is God is saying, you know what, we have now purified the Levites. I've consecrated them for myself. And instead of the firstborn of Israel belonging to me, I'm now taking the Levites to myself rather than the firstborn of Israel. So the Levites now were substituting for the firstborn as far as God's people go. Well, let's continue reading from 19 through 21. In verse 19, I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. Again, there's that purity that we don't have to worry about. We can come near because of Jesus Christ. Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel to the Levites, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the sons of Israel did to them. The Levites, too, purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Aaron also made atonement for them to cleanse them. Now, once the Levites were cleansed, they were consecrated. They were given over to God for a specific purpose. Now, all of the other Israelite, the tribes of Israel, they would have known if you were a Levite, you were set aside and you belonged to God for a special purpose. They were allowed to go into the, temp, the tabernacle. Picture what their, jo their job was too. Every time, remember to get the pillar of fire and the cloud above it? Every time it moved, what did they do? They had to break camp. Guess who were the ones who broke the camp and folded up all the, the, the tents and they, everything with the tabernacle, all of the furnishings, they carried it from place to place. When they got to where the pillar would settle, what did the Levites do? They had to set up the tabernacle all over again. So that was the role. They were the only ones. The, other, the rest of the nation was not allowed to touch any of those furnishings of the tabernacle. So if you were a Levite, you were identified, the rest of the tribes knew who you were, that was your identity. You see, I mentioned that your identity in Christ enables you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. And your identity is that you're a child of God. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But in our, in our society today, in our culture, we end up having so many other things take over our identity. For me, I happen to be, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, 
I'm a pastor, you know, I'm an Eagles fan. All these different things can be my identity. Now, some of those things I mentioned are good things, right? You know, if I happen to marry a wife who loves the Lord, and in my marriage, I mean, God is, you know, hopefully blessing that marriage, and I was, you know, so that's a good thing, right? So a lot of us have our identity in something that's good, but our primary identity is that we're a child of God. You see, there's many things that we can put our identity in that are good things, but when we raise them to a level above our identity as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, we can get ourselves into trouble. See, I've seen marriages where somebody puts so much hope and all of their you know, longing is in that relationship where it's almost like they're longing for that relationship to give them all of the fulfillment that should come through Jesus Christ. I've seen parents that they take their children, they put them on such a pedestal that they're finding their identity as being a mom or a dad first and foremost in their life, rather than as a child of God who happens to be a parent. You see, I've seen people in other times, like somebody is successful in business, and their identity now is caught up in how much money they have or how successful they are in business. You know, is it bad to be a, a successful business person? Absolutely not. But when that becomes your identity, it's almost like what you're doing is you're putting your eyes now on these other things and turning your back to God and forgetting that you're a child of God. I've seen people, that bad things can happen in our lives. Maybe you've had, struggled with an addiction and it's gotten you so down that in your life you feel beat up over and over again that you now see your identity as an addict. And that's who you identify yourself as. Maybe you've gone through a marriage and you've had a failed marriage and you now feel that your identity is a divorcee rather than a child of God. Rather, maybe you've been someone who's failed in business and it's devastated you so much that in your eyes you see yourself as a failure rather than as a child of God. Maybe it's as a parent. Maybe you've had such struggles as a mom or a dad and you see yourself just as a, as a, you know, a, a failure as a mom. And that's become your identity rather than as a child of God. You see, when, I, when we talk about our identity, there are so many beautiful things that come into our lives when we see our identity as a child of God. Let me just start to list a couple of them. For one, you don't have to fear God like all so many of the other religions in this world do that are striving to be good enough. It's almost like they're on a treadmill just trying and trying and trying to earn God's favor. But when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a daughter or a son of the King. You belong to Him and you don't have to strive anymore. How about we gain our salvation? We can walk into heaven knowing that we're walking into our loving Heavenly Father because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We get, think of the, the fruit of the Spirit that comes to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, and the list goes on. What a way to walk through life when those things are part of who we are and think about what life would be like if we didn't have those things. Think of what the opposite of those things would be if we didn't have them in our lives. You know, we have companionship. You know, we have a, we have a Holy Father who wants to treat you like his child because he loves you. You know, your, your earthly parents, your spouse, your children, they're going to let you down. They're not perfect, but you have a Holy Father who will never let you down. Think about the church. Here we are. I don't think we think about this enough. 
We're part of the body of Christ. Think about what comes with being part of the church. You see, when, if you just come to here on Sunday mornings and sit and listen to a sermon, that's not being part of the body of Christ. You see, when you're part of, say, a, a smaller community within the church, a small group, now what happens is you're developing relationships with other people. And you're now using your gifts and investing them into other people. And at the same time, those people are investing their gifts into you for encouragement, for accountability, for helping you up when you need to be encouraged, to meet physical needs if you have a need for maybe meals or whatever. But we're coming together and we're living the Christian life in community with other people who love and care for you. Now, will there be you know, broken relationships where there'll be things you get hurt? Yeah, you know why? Because we're not perfect. But when you turn your back on all of these blessings that come with being a child of God, just think about what it is happening. You're putting all of that behind you when you're putting your identity in being anything else in your life. See, God loves you as his child. Now, are you perfect? No. Will you struggle? Yes. Is that your primary identity, though? Absolutely not. Now, as we move on, I want to wrap up by reading the remaining verses. And the last point that I'd like to make to go along with these is that God's desire is to use you in serving others. Let's pick up in verse 22 and just read to the end. Then after the Levites went in to perform their service in a tent of meeting before Aaron and before his sons, just as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50 years, they shall retire from service in the work and not work anymore. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall deal with the Levites concerning their obligations." I mentioned that the Levites were set aside, they were consecrated to God. Now we get into this interesting section here about those who are over 50. I have to laugh. Just last week, Pastor Tom and I had breakfast over at IHOP. I'm sitting there eating breakfast, and I look at a little thing that sits on the table, and it says on there, for 55 and over, um, it's buy one, get one free Monday through Thursday. Now, I'm about five months away from my 55th birthday, and I'm like, I didn't want to see that. That's the first time a senior discount came that close to applying to me. And um, felt a little good because I was able to tell Tom, but Tom, you're already there. But um, anyway, um, you know, here the Levites were told at the age of 50 that they're not to serve in there. But one of us said, you can assist the Levites in their work. You see, for disciples of Jesus Christ, there is no retirement. John Piper wrote a book, and he was talking about the fact, and he just said, you know what, we follow this American dream that we're going to retire, go to Florida, play shuffleboard, play golf, and just sit on the beach from, you know, the rest of our, until, until heaven. You see, that's, uh, that is not the identity of a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, what God wants us to do, as long as we're alive on this earth, is to take the gifts that he's given us and pour them into other people to help advance the kingdom of God, to proclaim the gospel, to encourage, to come alongside of. God wants to use you in serving other people. But as we do this, I'm going to wrap up right now by reading just one quick thing. But I want us to remember that our righteousness, our purity, our righteousness, 
and our identity and our service all comes from the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We don't have to carry that burden with us anymore. As Jesus said, it is finished and all of the blessings of being a child of God are available to you that your heavenly Father wants to pour on you as you remember that that is your identity. I wanted to read as we close the, um, one article from the Heidelberg Catechism. This was written about 500 years ago, 1563. They set out to write just a summary statement of the evangelical faith. And the way they write this, they ask a question and then they answer it. And every article is a different question and then the answer. I just want to read Article 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Talk about our identity. What is our identity? I belong body and soul in life and death to Jesus Christ. That's your identity. Let's go on. Now, remember we talked about protection of our purity. It protects us. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Talk about our protection coming from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we talk about service. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. You see, our protection, our identity, and our service all come from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us as you do. We thank you that we can call you Father that you love us as your precious sons and daughters, not because we've earned it, not because we've been good, but all because we've trusted in your Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, God, for loving us this way. Thank you for giving us all of the provisions and blessings that come with being a child of God. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here this morning, that we would remember that that is our identity, Father, we all struggle. We all face trials, temptations, and Lord, we carry things with us from the past. And Lord, these battle in our minds for priority. Lord, we get our identity in things that are lies of the devil. And I pray that we would remember that we belong to Jesus, and that is our identity. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we go out this week, I encourage you all to remember who you are in Christ and have a wonderful week.